0: MedBridge provides evidence-based courses, unlimited CEUs, home exercise programs featuring 6,000 plus exercises, and so much more. Use promo code The Advantage—that is, T H E A T V A N T A G E—to get an annual MedBridge subscription for as low as $225. Hey, everyone! Welcome back to Reframe the Game. Uh, I'm really excited about this episode. This is actually the first time we've done something like this on the podcast. Usually, it's uh, the podcast format is me teaching uh, and me having conversations about some of my thoughts and my experiences. But today we are going to welcome our first guest on the Reframe the Game podcast, and that's uh, Patrick O'Haver. Patrick is an athletic trainer in Indiana, and he also is a member of the Reframe the Game community. And, you know, during these last six months in our community, uh, I provided opportunities for our community members to share lessons about their lives and their experiences. And Patrick stepped up and shared a wonderful lesson about leveraging adversity. And I just had to have him on the podcast so he could share a little bit about his story and his experiences in athletic training. And, And, you know, my goal from this episode is one, for you to get to know Patrick a little bit, but also for us to learn from some of Patrick's experiences and, and, and ways that he's been able to succeed over a long period of time and, and consistently in the profession of athletic training. So, uh, Patrick, welcome to the Reframe the Game podcast. Well, thank
1: you very much, Kent. Uh, it's my honor and pleasure to be part of the Reframe the Game podcast. and very honored to be the, the first guest. I mean, I, it's, uh, that's great. That's part of, that was half of the motivation for doing the lesson was to, to be on the podcast because uh, I found a lot of value and insights in the, the first two seasons of the Reframe the Game podcast. So I definitely
0: want to be a part of this. Excellent. Excellent. So, so how about we start by learning a little bit about you? Uh, could you share with our listeners uh, a little about your background and your individual athletic training journey?
1: Well, uh, you know, I guess you could start at the beginning. Uh, I was not very successful in athletics, um, although I come from a athletically, um, you know, interested family. My father was, you know, he would watch sports on TV and um, I will There's also a lesson in this, too, is, you know, my father was very big on watching Purdue basketball and I grew up in Michigan and um, my father was a Purdue grad. He grew up in West Lafayette. And fortunately, um, I was we were able to go visit my grandparents every football season. Uh, So we would make this trek from um, Skegan, Michigan, all the way to West Lafayette for every Purdue home football game. And I didn't know it at the time, but that was a, a great thing. But I was also exposed to that environment. And when I tried out for the seventh grade basketball team, I got cut. And that was, you know, it's like any young kid's thing. That was kind of devastating. You weren't being, you weren't a part of that. And my friends were. So I was like, well, I don't know what else. I found out that I was not as good as I maybe thought I was uh, back in the day. So. Fast forward to eighth grade, um, I'm uh, out playing basketball in my front yard. My friend comes by and says, "Patrick, we need a manager for the eighth grade football team." I'm like, "Cause I had no interest in playing football," <laughs> but uh, he said, "Why don't you come out and you know be the coach and do all that?" I'm like, "Okay, well, I," and I'm also very introverted, also. I don't like to take those kind of step out back in the day. I didn't want to step outside that my comfort zone. So I dismissed it. And then, but uh, some encouragement from my parents. I'm like, well, you know, you take a chance. So I I did. I met them. And then that started the, the the career. Basically. Uh, um, I enjoyed dealing in that. I was in the environment. I was on the sidelines. I had all the, perks without the uh, physical uh, exertion and the pain, but, and I got, I was able to gain the trust of, of the uh, coaches and teachers, and I developed a, a reputation of a rapport, and I was sought out by people, uh, people listening to this, you, you might think like, well, you find that one or two students that you have dealt with in either high school or college Like these are dependable, trustworthy. That was what I became one of those people. I had keys to the school, you know. I not personally on me, but the coach would give me his keys. I would be able to do all these things, and they trusted me with it. Then I was uh, exposed in the in the freshman year to uh, our athletic trainer, who uh, visited like once or twice in our games. And a coach friend of mine, a coach, teacher at the school, who became a friend, guess like I should say, he uh, was always motivating me to that. He found an advertisement for Kramer camps, okay? So those are people who don't know what Kramer camps are. They are non-existent now, but there they were camps uh, at uh, regional colleges that the athletic trainers would bring Students from high school in, in a three day, two night thing and teach them uh, sports medicine skills, taping, wound care, you know, first aid, some CPR stuff. And I remember vividly those things, and you get exposure to the school. So uh, Kent will be impressed that I did two tours at Grand Valley State University, Cranmer Camp. So, uh, and then uh, you yeah, so I was able to help my athlete uh, at the at the freshman level. And then I got called up to the varsity when I became a sophomore at the school to work with the varsity and the athlete trainer. She visited twice a week and there was games on Fridays. And so I had all this nice knowledge. i I even um, I can remember vividly uh, getting uh, Arnheim's, I don't know, maybe fifth edition. And looking at it in the library and looking at all these techniques and all this information and stuff. And it, it, it was, uh, and my, my, my colleagues, my friends uh, were also like, wow, well, you could really help us, Patrick, and all that. So I found my value and satisfaction helping my friends. So, continued on through that. I basically made that decision to be an athlete trainer at freshman year high school. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the the, uh, the pageantry, you know, the Friday night lights, the, the you know, I can still, it's, it's corny now, but I remember when we had our first freshman football game under the lights, you know, and I was like, ooh, you know, here it is. Um, so uh, continued down that trail and, uh, you know, went to a, an advanced framework camp in Virginia, uh, College of William & Mary, you know. I'm not, you know. In retrospect, what was advanced about it? They just they expected you to be able to tear tape, tape for the most part, and you just kind of reinforced your skills and you know did these things. Um, so senior year of high school, you know, I'm you know senior, and uh, I've, I've seen some things, and you know, the the athletic trainer at my school was it was an outreach athletic trainer, similar to how my job is now, but she was basically in the clinic more. And we, like I said, come out in school. So I was the person and I, I, this is before cell phones, before email, uh, you know, I, I bugged the heck out of her. I mean, I would call her every day <clears throat> at the clinic. Can I talk to her? You know, we get on the phone in the office and this is what's going on with so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And I'm, you know, I'm thankful that she, you know, had the patience to deal with that, deal with me, uh, because it shaped how I, you know, how I did, but. You could, in in 2022, you would never be able to do that. Uh, students would not be <laughs> allowed to, uh, you know, was I practicing athletic training? Oh, I, I would say, yeah, I was, you know, I was taping. I was, you know, looking at ankle sprains and were icing, you know. It was, I had enough knowledge, uh, but uh, I also had a great uh, mentor, Tracy. So uh, then it was, you know, you had to find a uh I wanted to find a program and just start going down that uh, road. And uh, my parents, uh, my father took a job, a promotion in Illinois. See, my senior year of high school, um, he started looking for schools. I was all set to go to Purdue. You know, um, I had talked to Dr. Leverens, uh Had a phone interview. You know, that was a scary thing—a phone interview with him, uh, and. You Know for those people, Purdue was a curriculum based program, and that you had to apply to get in. And you had to, you, know, although you know, I was all excited to go to Purdue, uh, but I also kept my options up. I went to, to Central Michigan, visited with those folks. Um, I don't know why I didn't visit Grand Valley Kent, I, I think I don't know if they had a program or not, I don't know, but uh, my father picked up uh, a packet from Northern Illinois University and it came in the mail. And I'm like, you know, for any of you college seniors that may have, that you may have remembered that you get information from every college. And I'm like, Northern Illinois, what the heck is that? Who knows where DeKalb, Illinois is? I have no idea. And, uh, I dismissed it, but then I, uh, I called down, uh, to Northern Illinois, talked to you know, legendary Dr. Schlabach and spoke with her on the phone and uh, since we were moving to Illinois literally a month after I graduated I th- we went for a campus visit uh, at, in the Cal and met uh, you know, the another legend, Phil Voris. and uh, I missed uh, Mr. Mike Gray by like a day but uh, got a tour of the facilities and And uh, the buildings, and you know, they were you could start as a freshman, you know, start two days right August 1st or whatever. And I decided then I would, yeah, I want to start right away. I don't want to wait to get to because I had done all this stuff in high school. I wanted to be part of the thing. So, Northern Illinois, DeKalb, I was in, uh, and uh, it was good. Northern was a Internship program. And so I started accumulating my hours and experiences, and I had a ton of experiences that would fill up a whole other podcast. And then uh, graduated, went back to Michigan uh, for a year internship with uh, for my grade. Worked in a high school at a Whitehall. And that's where I kind of got the, i solidified the secondary level, in my opinion.
0: So so I, I like to just pause right here. Yeah, I'm sorry. R- really? No, nothing to be sorry about. I, I I am loving the story so far. So you and you know, the typical listener to reframe the game are a little younger, a little mm-hmm. less seasoned. And I but I find it fascinating that many, many of the experienced professionals that I talk to go back to their experiences at a Kramer camp as a defining moment in their career, right? Like, and it was before, and I find that so interesting. And, and I wonder, you know, just, I'm, I'm just thinking here, we talk about retention and not even retention in the profession, but we talk about trying to increase the number of people who are interested in athletic training. And I wonder what role something like a Kramer camp could play in helping sustain the, you know, sustain the profession in terms of getting students interested early. Yes, there are these high school, you know, career technical education programs that do exist uh, across the country, but many schools don't have access to that. And so, you know, that's just something that I'm interested in. And the other thing before we continue that I just want to say is, You know, Patrick, you and I have known each other for quite some time, but, you know, it's, it, it still amazes me about how small a world athletic training is. You know, you talked about, you talked about Grand Valley, you talked about Dr. Leverens, you talked about Dr. Schlalbach, you talked about Mike Braid and all of these people I've come across and have connections with and relationships with uh, in a different time, a different time in a different place but uh, you know the 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 connections and the relationships in athletic training seem to transcend time, and we know people at different moments in their athletic training journey, and through that we're all connected, and so uh, it, I, it just it just it blows my mind. It, you know, even though I know athletic training is a small profession, but it truly is an intimate setting where we all may come across and have interactions with individuals at one point or another. So in your story right now, you, you finished Northern Illinois, you're doing your internships. You're up at Whitehall and we left off. You knew that you wanted to work in the secondary school setting.
1: Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, so I, I knew what I kind of wanted to be there. And the school wanted to try to find a way to hire me, but I did not have a teacher certification, and that was, you know, kind of the role that they were trying to. And other schools had already had, you know, teacher athlete trainers. We we talked about that. That is a, you know, uh, I knew of some athlete trainers or teacher athlete trainers, Um, but just didn't happen. So I, uh, you know, I wanted to get my master's. I wanted to be a GA somewhere. Um, and again, it's another life lesson in the world that, you know, you don't know those lessons until years later. So you apply for GA positions, right? No problems getting in accepted, admitted to the school. Um, and again, you talk about relationships and that interpersonal stuff. I knew people at different programs like Kent state. Uh, I remember going for that visit and, uh, I thought I would be there because one of my previous uh, colleagues had already just completed her her position there, and at Northern we had a GA from there. Um, and of course, you know, Northern Illinois was not in the MAC at that time, but you know they they had known people, so I maybe I relied too much on the uh, the interpersonal relationships uh, versus my own uh, you know getting the position and uh i didn't get the position at kent state i i I, uh and i didn't know why and they wouldn't tell me why and my (laughs) uh and because i was all ready to go to be a golden flash i guess so and i my my my, uh even my parents well you should ask them what could you do better what can you do you know talk to them and so i did try to call Yeah, i called and I got the, the standard pat answer, not pat answer, but standard answer that because you can't, if they don't know what to say, they just say, well, you just didn't meet our criteria, you know, we're sorry, but, you know, there's nothing you really could have done better, it's just, you just didn't fit our position, right, like, okay, Also, well, so darn, so, um, you know, I interviewed at Western Michigan, uh, a lot of Midwest places, because I thought I would stay in the Midwest, uh, again, this is back in the day of the, the job board and, uh, very, you know, the internet was just coming around and, uh, saw a job for Centenary College in Louisiana and, which is in Shreveport. And the only reason I knew about Centenary College because my cousin, uh, played volleyball was playing play ball there at the time. And my aunt and uncle who lived in Slidell, Louisiana. We had visited a few times or maybe once when growing up here. So I'm like, well, and they offered me masters in teaching. So I called up there and you know, that was a big jump from you know, Michigan all or from Crown Point, Indiana, where I live now, where my parents are now, all the way to Louisiana. And it's it's uh, God Bosh, it's So loaded up the car, drove down there for oh, or he flew me down there for an interview. Uh, it was, uh, you know, interesting school, very old, oldest school, oldest liberal arts school west of the Mississippi, and uh, I believe, and uh, it was, it was a good, it was a good position, and uh, they offered me. <laughs> it's funny now, they offered you a five thousand dollars stipend for a year. I got a free room in the in a dorm, and uh, but I didn't get the meal plan. The other GAs got a meal plan. But they didn't get any money. So, uh, and I got a, I was gonna get a a tuition waiver, book waiver, and this is all at the end of July. And then uh, there's one other place I wanted to try to go, and uh, they weren't offering free room or anything like that. It just seemed like I was. I remember, uh, well, it was at North Central College, another, you know, well-known area, and I interviewed with Heidi Matthews, another, you know. Person that was highly involved in athlete training, and uh, I remember her saying, "It sounds like you already decided you're going to go to a centenary. I'm like, "Yeah, I guess so." So I'm, you know, sorry for wasting your time, you know. I on the on the on the interview, so made that decision, drove down there, loaded up a U-Haul thing, and for uh, now, U-Haul loaded my car and got down there and started that. Got graduated in two years there. And then uh, try to come back to the Midwest, Uh, but again, the the job positions just weren't. I was not selected for jobs. So then, uh, my former boss said, "Hey, there's a job down here in Louisiana with your name on it. It's in the middle of Louisiana, very rural, Winfield, Louisiana, and uh, if you want to come, come on down to to interview." probably
0: going to get it well so so can i can i ask you a question um because i think this is this is the the process of applying for jobs and being denied when you think that you're a qualified candidate i think is something that many of our listeners probably can relate to you know um you know we talk about right now in athletic training 2022 like the labor shortage and we need more athletic trainers but it's also, it's also, there's kind of a juxtaposition where there's a lot of people applying, but they're also not being offered the jobs, even though they may feel like they're qualified. And I, it may be difficult to reflect uh, you know, of your mindset when you were you know, going through that process. But maybe, I mean, I'm interested to know, how did you handle that? How did you handle you know, you know, f- you know, going down, earning your master's degree, looking for jobs in the Midwest, and and hearing, you know, no, you're not the right fit or no, we don't have this this position. You know, how, how can, and, and maybe for our listeners, how did you pick yourself up and, and keep going? Uh, because I think in those moments, it's really easy to say, well, I'm done or there's something wrong with me or, you know, there's, you know it's, easy, it's really easy to put it on ourselves um in that situation and so i just love to learn from from your story because you're here now right you have you have persevered and you you have reached a level of success and um but early on it didn't necessarily what from what i'm hearing it didn't it probably didn't feel like that oh yeah uh it's
1: you know, it's it's definitely leveraging adversity because there was a lot of adversi- adversity uh, given Um, if, 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 if I was in the middle of what it is now in 2022, I would definitely have a job and I would have the pick of jobs and, um, it would be, but back in that time when I was looking for jobs up here, there were not very, not very many. And, uh, you know, my, my goal, my dream, I guess it was to go back to the high school. I I grew up in in Michigan, be the athlete trainer for that school. And I remember, um, again, another, the only, again, it was going to be a teacher athletic trainer, but it was going to be, you know, and I had my teaching certificate. You know, it was in Louisiana, but you could do reciprocity in Michigan. So I remember interviewing with, you know, the principal and uh, some people and they they granted me an interview. I drove up there, stayed with some friends, and got to the interview and interviewed with them. And I, I was way out of my, I was way out of my league, way out of my, uh, scope, but I really wanted to be the athlete trainer. You know, teaching to me was like a second, maybe a third like idea. but I really wanted to be the athlete trainer at the, at the high school. It just completed or actually the high, the new high school that, um, was there with all new complexes. So I was really excited. And I, that was kind of my goal, my dream. And, uh, I did the interview, you know, I thought I did okay. Again, maybe I thought a little bit, uh, I don't know if it's hubris or maybe you can think of a different word, Kent, but uh, I, I was an alumni of this institution. I was coming back. I was, you know, I wanted to do this job. Uh, I wanted to be the athlete trainer, you know, this is what I wanted to do. Um, and I remember, I can remember vividly the uh, the call. He called the, the place I was staying with a friend, my my the principal, and he said, "Hey, listen, Patrick, I just want to let you know that you know we're going to go in a different direction. You know, I appreciate you coming up and I appreciate you know, your interview, uh, but we're just you know, I can't remember the exact verbiage. Basically, you're not going to get the job. <laughs> so, um, I'm like, okay, oh, I appreciate the call, you know. And I was so I drove home, you know, not devastated but disappointed. And how do I, you know, how did I, you know, re-leverage that, you know, uh, in the, the current world? Um, I just kept looking for other opportunities. And it. it uh, so then, you know, you're living with mom and dad in Crown Point and it's late, it's July slash, you know, getting to June, July. And, uh, you know, I went to the NATA, and I want to say NATA that year might have been in Indianapolis. And. That was back in the day when the job board was full of jobs. You could look at different jobs on the board and apply. And I don't don't think I I didn't get called for any interviews at NETA, Um, but the job board was was big. So, and then, so I'm getting pressure from the the parents to move out, either find a job or move out of the house or what have you. And uh, so it's very, you know interesting in my life, things seem to happen to the opportunities arise when you least expect it, but they also arise at a time when you either it's the the crunch time. Every opportunity it's the end of July. So it's which you know at the time of this recording it's second week of August. So people are they need the athlete trainers. So you you have the leverage. So like I said so I was like well I'll go down to Louisiana and uh, interview for this job, and you know, basically, I was the only applicant. And, you know, I was, and I was number one on this because I know how Louisiana is and how hot it is. And off we go. So I remember uh, the guy I interviewed with, the PT, the PT I interviewed with, and also the phys- the orthopedic physician, who's you know, in retrospect, now looking back, great was is a great. Orthopedic surgeon and uh I learned a ton from him and I'm fortunate that I took that position. But as he said, you could fight a bear for a month or a year. So if you just kind of give me a year, uh, and then you decide to go back to the north, uh, as they said, um, and you can. Well, ended up building a program, building relationships down there, and stayed six years down there. And then things started happening again. I interviewed with uh, I came up for a visit, interviewed with uh, John Doherty uh, up here in Northwest Indiana, and uh, he said, "Hey, I don't have any positions before you right now, but I'll keep your name in mind in case something comes up." And would you be interested? I was like, "Yeah, sure." And uh, I was busy working. Now, now we had cell phones. So he called my cell phone. I'm in the middle of practice, and he goes, "I have had a mass exodus out of my company, and I'd like to offer you a position." and uh, but I was in the middle of football down there in September. And I'm like, well, I can't get up there until probably Thanksgiving because I respect that. So, uh, we did and, uh, ended up, uh, interviewing again, getting, uh, uh, chosen for, uh, Highland high school or Lake central. Um, I, I, uh, a friend of mine wanted Lake central back and I, I, So I said, well, sure, I could. Highland was nice, and again, another decision that you don't know the far outcome of until later. And uh, Highland's been a great, great, great opportunity, and great people, and great. uh, So I've you know learned a lot there, and I've been there six, one of sixteen years now. So it's weird how, and interesting how life works out. uh, That, but how to leverage that adversity? I. I just kept going and and kept, I had my network of people like we just talked about, um, looking for positions, keeping, you know, the, and they would keep you in mind for, Hey, I need an athlete trainer for X while I have somebody looking, you know, this was back before Facebook, back before social media, really, you know, back before text messaging. Cell phones were just coming around, so uh, it wasn't easy to. But you would just call and say, "Hey, you know, Mr. Braid, I'm looking for a. You know, I'm I'm open for a position if you have anything." Phil, uh, your your network, your community network, your your college networks, your alumni networks uh, would do that. So that's how we, and they knew.
0: I love that. I love, I love your message. It's so simple, but it's probably one of the, at least for me, one of the most difficult challenges I face on a daily basis. And that is to keep going, right. To, to, to hold the line, to keep moving forward one step at a time when, especially when it's hard, and uh so I, I just want to highlight that because I think there are so many people who can benefit from the lesson of keep going. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other, especially when it's hard. And I love, you know, I, I got a little chuckle when your the orthopedic physician said, you know, anyone can fight a bear for a year. And, you know, sometimes we're in these positions where um where it may feel like this is really hard or, or, or i'm not the most qualified or i don't really know what I'm doing, right or like i don't know if this is where I want to be permanently, but through that, you mentioned that you you were able to build a program, you were able to gain some great experiences, and all this, all the time at, at, during that whole period of time, you were also maintaining your network of colleagues and athletic trainers that were. You know, in the Midwest. And I think this is one of the lost arts of healthcare, right? Especially in the age of social media. You know, we see on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or insert social media, people saying, Hey, I'm looking for a job. Does anyone have anything? But, you know, announcing on social media with acquaintances who you may not have any relationship with, except for you friend them on Twitter, right? Is different than calling someone up or sending them a text message or sending them an email and, and, and reaching out to them and saying, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Do you have anything in your network? And so I think the skill of activating a network is another lesson that we can take away from this. And it, and, you know, and it took time. It sounds like it took some time for you to, but, you had, but you, it wasn't like you activated it once and left it and said, well, they don't have anything. It sounds like it was consistent effort over time and reaching out and maintaining those relationships, even when maintaining the relationships was probably more work than letting the relationships fall off.
1: Yeah. Fair, fair assessment. Um, I was deeply involved in our Louisiana Athlete Trainer Association, just great people there that that state meeting was great. Uh, I helped coordinate part of that. uh, The student part in in Shreveport, when we hosted it, um, and uh, it, again, it was, it was like you said, it was building the interpersonal relationships. Uh, you know, even when I was a, a supervisor and a higher, you know, I was in charge of recruitment and retention, uh, or it was one of my roles. Um, being involved at GLADA, uh, at the History and Archives Chair, even though I was, I was not in a really true leadership position. I was able to sit in the room in the March meetings and get to know the student senators and interact with them. And I used that as a recruiting tool. And I, that was my, when we were, we had positions available. If you were in the Gladys student Senate, you were already one rung up in my, opinion. or you would, uh, if I had interacted with you and you were interested, you were, you were, you know, Definitely on my radar for future positions, and I would, if we had a position available, I would seek you out if you were interested in the high school uh, setting or one of our our roles. So, I feel the big uh, connection is interpersonal. So I was, you know, and it was interesting. I was involved in CEDA, which is District Nine, when I was in Louisiana, and you know, again, you know, I, I left Glada slash District 4 for about 10 years, but I still kept in the relationships with them. And you would meet those people at NATA just like this last NATA. You know, uh, I was able, to, that's how I connect back with my Louisiana people. And, uh, you know, I still connect with them on via social media, but it's still not the same as seeing face-to-face and talking. So, I uh,
0: Yeah, and, I, you know, you, you mentioned Uh, some of your experience in the professional organizations of athletic training as being a and as being a Gladys student senator alumni, a student senate alum, um, I I definitely connect with the message that you're sending. I know there's been a lot of conversation on social media, a lot of conversation within the, the professional organizations of athletic training about what the value of these organizations are. Um, you know, what do they do for me? all of these things and and sure, there is room for growth and there's room for uh, feedback and criticism. but you know as an individual, and I think both of us have been heavily involved in the professional organizations of athletic training, but I think one of the most important things for me have been the relationships have been the ability to listen and learn from those conversations that are happening in the boardroom from the conversations that are happening, not even necessarily in the, yes, there's all sorts of learning that goes on at the, at the annual meetings or the symposia. But I think the, there's a value and there's a texture and there's a depth of being able to, of all those conversations that happen outside of the continuing education hours, Right the the time that's spent in the hallways the time that's spent in you know in between the time that's spent getting dinner or getting a drink or just getting coffee in the morning with other individuals and again i think as we as, and i think this also goes into the engagement of the engagement of athletic trainers in the professional organizations right it provides us a common purpose to bring our talents and skills together. And I think, again, you know, we look at some of the things, some of the conversations that are happening collectively in the profession, at least on social media, maybe social media isn't the best representation of what the whole conversation is, but there is a lot of divisiveness and a lot of what appears to be conflict in in this space, and may, maybe it's the pandemic, maybe it's social media, maybe it's a maybe it's a combination of the job market, maybe it's all sorts of difficulties that are coalescing, but we've also not taken steps to get back to defining that common purpose. And I, I, I you know, and that's one of the things that I admire about you, Patrick, is. That you have been ever since I've known you from my time on the Gladys Student Senate, I was the Michigan. I was the Michigan Center, I think you were in the History and Archives in Indiana at the time, so different states only you know got to engage with you. I think it was the Glada fiftieth anniversary I, was that in Fort Wayne or uh, Detroit or somewhere or I don't know what it was, but you were in charge of something to do with creating this video and this DVD. Like I have this like packet, right? It was was the 40th. Okay. It was the 40th. I'm a decade off, right? (laughs) but it was the 40th. And, and, um, you know, it was, it was just a moment where, again, I talked about this earlier, but you bridged athletic training in time and space. Right. And I, I don't even remember where the location was, but Maybe it was in Toledo. I don't know. But when it used to travel around, right, it was the 40th anniversary. And I remember distinctly meeting you. And having conversations with you about the process of attaining these photographs and then the team working together to actually put it into a digital product and to be able to print your own, not print, but record your own DVD was like a huge technological advancement, right? We were just like finishing burning CDs and now we had this DVD and I, it's, it's around my house somewhere. Um, but that's, you know, that's how I got to know you initially when I was a student back in 2007, 2008. Um, so when, when I have opportunities to talk to more seasoned athletic trainers, I don't know if I'm seasoned or not, or I'm just like kind of salty, but you know, I don't know where I fall in this. I still think of myself as a young athletic trainer, but as I talk to people who are more seasoned than me, who are heavily involved in the professional organizations, I was wondering if you could share. Like why and how did you get involved initially, and then also why did why have you chosen to stay engaged not just as a member but as a member of a of committees and uh you know volunteer your time, energy, and efforts
1: so stay involved stay get involved with like the GLADA, NETA, i I guess um Although, a quick aside, the 40th was in Toledo and I was in Louisiana at the time. So, but in 2007, we met and I think it was just sidebar conversations and we talked about things. Uh, so, uh, but uh, and I maybe I gave you the DVD or something because we had a ton of them that's history archives. But anyway, that's an aside. How do I get involved? I think it has to deal with, um, you know, my, my uh, undergraduate education in Northern Illinois. Uh, Phil and and Mike Braid, Bill Morris, and Mike Braid. You know they were big on um, you know taking students to the to Glada, to the Illinois Athletic Training Association, the IATA, because they knew that's how you build a professional network. This is again before social media, so this was the real social interaction media, and you would meet people that could potentially get you a job. Um, when you graduate at a social event at protect a local establishment or a social in the symposium. And back in the day, there was no Gladys student program. So you had to go into, uh, and they always made sure that, you know, if you're going to play hard, you better work hard. And, you know, just because, you know, go to the eight o'clock lecture or whatever, if you are out doing, you know, Engaging in social interaction and, until a late hour, you should be up doing those things. And um, I was drawn to that, you know. Uh, it, back in the day, there was no app. There was no like, oh, I'll send you the PDFs. It was like you had to write, like you were writing, you know, as fast as if you want to take notes on everything in the in the giant binder, the giant book of the symposium. Glada, and glad and glad I moved around. You know, I remember going to Fort Wayne and going to Detroit um, at the Renaissance Center. Um, and I I think it was in Indianapolis. And I was Never glad it was never Indy, but I don't can't remember. Oh, Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, Dayton, Ohio. That was the three th- places I was able to go. And they, sometimes they subsidized it, but again, it was building that relationship. And I want my altruistic nature. I wanted to be that when I grew up to be a big athletic trainer in a profession. I wanted to be that person, that younger athletic trainers. I want to help perpetuate the profession. And I wanted to be that person that could help that next athletic trainer. So that's why I liked to engage people like you, the younger, the the YPs back in the day of, of the, you know, and that's why I did it. They instilled that in me. I mean, you are... It doesn't make you a better or athlete trainer because you are involved, but I have a passion for the profession. I have a uh, passion for uh, helping other people, and I have a passion for for helping athletic trainers. And that's kind of what uh, how I feel that I can best do that is being involved in a le- you know, and I enjoy the leadership positions. And that's just uh, kind of how it was. So I. I, again, you talk about the, it's not so much the educational value. I believe it's the social value, just like it, at NETA in Philadelphia, you know, meeting people, you know, in the exhibit hall and walking through and, you know, meeting new people or people that you may see on social media and you see them in real life. Um, You know, getting together with our group, the refrain Regain group, and getting the picture in front of the gumball machine, you know, that was, you know meeting those people versus meeting them on zoom so the getting that's how i felt i was involved i met people and i in a social environment and they knew me and so they had a different opinion of me and versus the you know this is a student from Northern Illinois, Northern and his name is patrick so um i remember those things and that's kind of how you know how I, I'll, I'll say this, how I logged into the reframe the game podcast, because you did it and you're, I know you. And I was like, well, I'll listen to what Kent has to say. You know, he's a good guy. We talk and stuff. So that's, you know, had I not known you had I not interacted with you, would I be sitting here talking to you? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. So but.
0: right. That, that's such a, you know, the, the, again, going back to the connections, going back to the fact that athletic training relationships transcend time and space. Uh, you know, I, you know, as you're talking about your experiences with your educators and going to conferences really early on in your career and being engaged in that way and having that instilled. And, you know, if you're going to, If if you're going to engage in the, if you're going to play hard, if you're going to engage in the social events, you have to go to the learning events. And again, like it's this like timeless wisdom that, uh, you know, that gets passed down from athletic trainers. Like I had a, I had a mentor early on in my career when I was a student and I attended my first, I don't know if it was my first, it wasn't my first mats meeting, but I think it was my first, uh, Glada meeting. And, uh, he said, if you're gonna, if you're gonna hoot with the owls, you got to soar with the eagles. And essentially, if you're going to stay up all night and you're going to socialize and you're going to engage in some of those conversations, you got to be able to get up in the morning and have the discipline to engage in some of, you know, and be a professional, right? That that's what being a professional is, you know, is is, you know, yes, you can enjoy your life, but being a professional is doing sometimes some things when maybe it's easier to sleep in or to say, oh, I'm really tired. Or, you know, I had too rough of a night or whatever it may be. So, I, again, I find that connection to kind of the timeless wisdom of athletic training and engagement. And I love how you talked about that the added value of continuing education events, particularly In in the digital age, is not so much the content. Yes, obviously the content is so is valuable, and and we need to be engaging in it from a perspective for our licensure and certification and any other regulatory requirements that we have. uh, But also the social component, or that you know, if you don't want to call it social, you know, you could also call it the interpersonal component, like the piece of actually connecting with. Other humans, and you know, being able to find your job at you know, find you know, connecting with someone, and then at the end of the meeting, having a really good or having a really strong lead on a job, and um, you know, and then not knowing that you know, because of some of our first interactions back in the late two thousands, right? You inspired you to, or not inspired you, but. Uh, was a motivating factor in you choosing to press play on the first episode of Reframe the Game, right? So you never know when some of these, some of these interactions that you're having with individuals, you know, what, I don't wanna say dividends because it's not about gaining things, but it is about developing and growing and cultivating um, relationships that may bear fruit in the future. Right, you never you never know when that's when that's going to happen. So I, you know, as we kind of kind of look look towards um, your future, and you know, you mentioned at NATA this year, we were able at the convention we were able to meet in Philadelphia, and you mentioned the reframe the game community uh, got together, took a picture of everyone who was there, but you we were talking afterwards, and you had mentioned something you specifically said that you felt like you were on the other side of your peak, uh, in athletic training. And I'm wondering if you could kind of elaborate on this for our listeners and then also maybe share some of your wisdom with mm-hmm you know, as a, as someone, as someone who is self-described as on the other side of their peak in athletic training, what are, what, what's some wisdom or some key takeaways that some athletic trainers or who are on the front side of their peak in, in the profession, uh, could take away?
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, it, it was a very surreal, like time in Philadelphia, uh, because as i try to go to the the meetings um, as best i can um you know nata is a big financial uh, cost but um you know I, i'm fortunate enough to be able to that my employer pays you know a ceu um allotment reimbursement so I, it's not as big a financial hit and i'm not on, on the other side of my peak as far as athletic training like experience knowledge it just seemed that i was on the other side of the Age peak, or I'm very at the very top of the age peak, and it's kind of like a mount, you know, like a Pikes Peak or a Mount Everest. Like you, I've reached the summit, and now I'm looking out over the 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 world, and you're going to have to start walking down sometime. But you know, uh, I noticed what I noticed, it was a lot of a lot of people were younger professionals than I was. There was still the 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 people that were you know, the, the, uh, more seasoned, the hall of famer, uh, uh, athletic trainers that I quote unquote grew up with, or, were you know, my mentors, uh, or that I had interacted with throughout the, my, from the start of my career up to, you know, this 25th year, 26 years of being certified. Uh, and I've, I've known them, but now I see that there's a lot of more people on, on the back, on the other side of my age, my generation, I guess you could say, you know, people like yourself and you know, uh, other uh, younger uh, program directors slash you know scholars, people that are in in getting involved into the profession um, in leadership capabilities. and I just noticed that at NATA, it maybe because it was, you know, only about four thousand people were there versus the usual eight to ten. Um, but, um, and then you walk through the exhibit hall and you're just like, wow, it's like a lot of the younger professionals, a lot of the younger people. So for, for wisdom, you know, I think it's, I don't know if I have wisdom, but just kind of antidotes, you know, it's difficult and it's difficult for me to say this and difficult because I, do I practice it? Probably not as much as I should, but you gotta, you have to set boundaries, you know, you have to, and you I see a lot of it on 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 social media again, that's because that's our window to everybody, right? Back in the day, you didn't have a window to everybody. You had a window, basically, maybe in your little community and maybe your state. So you didn't hear the struggles of somebody in California or Washington or or you know downstate Texas or something like that, where they're you know they're they're having to work. You know excessive amount of time i still my challenge is you know the and, and as a former supervisor you know in charge of all hours and such we we made a a point we didn't have athlete our staff working 80 hours pay, okay, 70 80 hours a, a week and i don't know if that's a default number um i still try to rationalize that in my head are you really working 70 80 hours in, in a you in know in a week um wow and if you are something needs to change because you're giving that company that school an extra free person right and that was in a podcast a sports management broadcast uh, a gentleman a gentleman said that that uh, you know if you're doing that you're giving that you're giving a free a full person's time away um, but you know said you know what happened is, especially in 2022 now back you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, maybe this wouldn't be true, but what are what are they going to do? You know, if you set your time, and I'm not saying it's just an eight-hour day. I get it. You know, like we're in the middle of fall season here in Indiana, and it's going to be a grinder, okay? Uh, you're going to expect to work six days a week in Indiana for high school, not an intercollegiate. I get it, but if you set time, I'm going to be here from 9 to six, you know, or nine to five or eight to six, eight to five, somewhere pick maybe 10 hours a day, three days a week. But these other days I'm not going to be here eight. If, if soccer practice goes at six o'clock in the morning and you're the only person there, you know, Hey, uh, you know how to get the, get the water or whatever you need to do. I will be in at an eight. If something happens and they need to be evaluated, they can make, they can see me then, you know, what's the value standing out at practice I I don't as I get older I don't get that anymore you know and um, even at my school I had I have a I have an intern this year which has been is you know precepting for the first time which is great And we talk about that you know I don't really stand out at football practice I don't stand out at soccer practice they I'm in a central location and I'll visit but um I don't I'm not standing there waiting for something to happen or waiting to respond. Make value, make value of your time. And if I know intercollegiate, you know, they have requirements that you have to have somebody there, but I don't know if there's not somebody there. Can they not go? Can they, I mean, and if you can't make it, you know, because it's outside of your hours, they need to maybe change it. Maybe it's a facility thing. I don't know. Or they need to hire another person. And I know that's difficult to for schools to probably do set boundaries do I break my boundaries yes I I will freely admit that you know I try to set boundaries but you know something will come up and you you kind of get you feel guilt you feel you know shame well I surely should be there so I'll be there but I you know I I have a great administration at my school and he also supports that and I so we you know we don't unless it's an emergency, we're not texting on Sunday. We're, you know, or texting after seven o'clock or definitely I'm definitely not calling him unless it's an absolute emergency after hours, you know, or on a if it's a low priority thing, but I want to make a note of it, I'll send him an email. That's what I tell him. I was like, listen, if something I need to talk to you about, I'll send you an email. You can open it or choose not to, you know, after hours. Same thing when I worked as a supervisor. I didn't open my hospital email after 5.30 p.m. Because if it if it was or check it. Because if it was something that I that was a an issue, it's still gonna be there at eight o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock in the morning. And I don't I want to be able to sleep at night without having to agonize about it, you know, or think, oh I try to think all these scenarios. So set your boundaries. I would love to, you know, hear of an issue where you know if you're working 70 hours a week and you set time to to crank that down to 55, 60 hours a week during our peak times. Uh, what are they? What's the school? What's the, are they, if they fire you, are they gonna determinate you because, well, for dereliction of duty or not doing your job? Okay. But so if they let you go, who are they gonna replace you with in 2022? As we all know, jobs are plentiful out there, plentiful. So, Set your boundaries. Try not to take things as personal, as a personal attack on you. Uh, very difficult to do. Very difficult to, you know, and that's part of the refrain. the Game e- uh, episodes of dealing with ego. It's tough, you know, to, you know, have that coach challenge you at the end of the day because the WBGT hit 88.9 for a good 15 minutes. Coach, we got to stop, you know. Well, he doesn't want to. Well, okay. Uh, I'm just letting you know, you know, and I have witnesses. I'll let you know. Uh, make a documentation of it and see what happens. Also, you know, if a coach berates you in front of, you know, players, you, you can have a private conversation later. If you can't, if that doesn't work, have an athletic director conversation. If that doesn't work, hopefully you have a support system in your it's an outreach place support system that you can discuss with it. If you don't you know, then you, you know, hopefully have some outlet that you can discuss it and get some resolution. Sometimes there's not resolution. So then you need to make a decision to move move on at a later time. Um, but things can always be talked about. Things in the heat of the moment are not good. And do I react in the heat of the moment? Of course. Do coaches? Of course. Do coaches, I remember an old coach of mine, he said, listen, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling to put, to basically Put the fear in them. So if I'm yelling at you, you know, don't take it personally. It's, it's, it's an act. It's, it's perception of authority. It's, you know, it's, but because they're like, wow, they'll yell at the manager for dropping a you know, whatever I better do better. Now is that that's motivation by fear, but, um, just very, very interesting, you know, you but yeah, you try to check your ego and try not to let the, the amygdala, hi- amygdala hijacking happened. And that's, we've taught, I think we've talked about that on Refrain the Game. We've talked about that in Refrain the Game community and other podcasts that I listen to. Uh, it's, you know, I, I'm definitely not an expert of it. You know, we all get emotional, but uh, and we all, we always want to do what's right. We want to be a fixer person for the most part. And I just listened to a podcast, you know, athlete trainers want to be right all the time and they don't want to be told don't want to be told they're wrong. And I fall into that because if we're wrong, sometimes a bad outcome happens, right? A student athlete gets injured or progresses down a path, you know, that will affect their their life, livelihood, their actual life. So we don't want to be wrong, but um Coaches don't want to be wrong or other admins don't want to be wrong either. So you have to get a a common ground. But at the end of the day, you know, if a coach wants to practice in the middle of a lightning storm, you know, I'm I'm, a coach. I'm going inside. You know, I've told you you, the sirens going off. See you, you know, Um, I'll be inside. You call me if something happens. If a lightning strike hits the field, I'll have the AED. But I'm going inside, and I'll make note of it. You know? Something happens, something happens. You can't, you know, prevent everything. And, you know, how much, uh, you know, if a kid wants to play on a broken leg, nothing would. But I'm not tackling a kid to the bench and strapping him to the bench say, hey, you can't play. You know? Uh, I'm strongly recommending you don't. I'm strongly listen, you're not going to be functional. Probably the bigger one's concussion, you know, you take their helmet and then they somehow find their helmet and then they're end up backing out there. I mean, and, and if that's a coaching thing, it, that, that's probably a little more extreme. And I would protest highly on that one. I, I would get other people involved in, in a concussion if you put a kid back in. But, you know, I, I'm not strapping a kid to the bench, you know, and making a, getting myself in up a, and a problem. I'm documenting it. And if they have a if they have an untoward outcome, you know, I don't know, Your Honor. I told him not to. He did on his free will, and the coaches motivated him to do it. I told him it was against medical advice. But at the end of the day, you do what you can do, but don't put yourself into a physical, mental uh, hardship over it. Again, you know, it is just a job. It is just, you know, what you do. Um, although we as athlete trainers take the job to heart a lot and I, I'm guilty of that as well. But I think we, we've said on that and probably in 2022, you, this is probably less, uh, less true. If you were to pass away tomorrow, that they'll replace you in two weeks, maybe not 2022, but, um, and that's very true. We had, uh, and I, that was probably part of one of my uh, bigger uh, learning moments too. Is when uh, we had a staff member pass away, uh, and uh, through through a heart problem, and they, you know, it it still uh, bothers. You know, it doesn't bother me, but it it a like, yeah, he was here one day and gone the next, and you know, did we we struggled to replace him? But he, uh, but yeah, the job is still there, but you're not. So. And, but that's part of the refrain, the game community that I really, really like that tries to bring those things up and these podcasts. And, you know, don't take yourself so seriously. Take the job seriously.
0: Uh, I love the, uh, I love the wisdom that you shared there. You know, a really powerful, I think a really powerful statement about, you know, one day you're here, one day you won't be here, but the job will still be there. And uh, I think we all are humans. And this is one thing that I try to tell other people. And I think that you were, you, your message was consistent with is that we are humans who have the occupation of being an athletic trainer. And we may have this occupation of athletic trainer for this period of our life. It, we, we may not even have this occupation for our entire life, right? But, and so, you know, as you said, it's just a job. And we need to keep that into context, and you know your experiences with boundaries and your experiences with patient centered care and values, you know you know we, we often put ourselves in emotional hardship or you know emotional distress when our values don't align or the medical values don't align with the patient values or the familial values. And there's really a lot of wisdom in being able to separate those two things and understanding that as athletic trainers, we aren't superhuman. We like to believe we're superhuman, but we are just human, just like everyone else. And there's a lot of things we can't control. And so as we kind of wrap up this episode, I'm going to start a new tradition. So uh, I'm going to try to come up with a... with a common question to ask every guest when we do an inter- when we do it when I do an interview style episode so and the the idea here is that there's no right or wrong or better or worse response simply to gain others perspectives on a common question so the question i have for you is what does reframing athletic training mean to you and what does it look like?
1: Okay. Interesting question. I do want to put in one little thing about relationships. You've been giving dividends or fruit at the end. There's several, I've had several students become athletic trainers in my career at Highland and, uh, not knowing, but they were never students with me, so I, it's very interesting to see those people become stu- athlete trainers. Um, and I feel that I've, there's a little part of that. So that kind of goes back to the relationship building and professionalism. So, um, and I, it gives me a sense of pride for those students to be athlete trainers. So that's just interesting. Reframing the profession, reframing, uh, and that's uh, very interesting because it changes over time, right? It changes, like you think the profession has gone through so much in the, during COVID uh, uh, from what it was, uh, you know, five years ago till now. You know, the profession, there are, and I, I did participate in the, the talk at the NTA yesterday. When we talk about the AT shortage, if there's really a shortage or if they're just athlete trainers that have moved into different positions. And they they keep the credential because they they uh, they, uh, they are dissatisfied with the athlete training their current position or is it a pay issue? Because I know of three athlete trainers that locally that are not practicing athlete trainers, but they may still have the, the credential, but they are not doing practicing athlete training. Reframe the profession. Uh, I think that we've talked about it the whole time, you know, uh, through this whole hour podcast, you know, it, building relationships. Don't be afraid to interact, to talk to people in face to face versus over Twitter versus over a social media platform. Engage. Uh, again, set, you know, I to refrain, to reset, to uh, set boundaries, to, uh, Again, uh, take care of your personal self, but also, you know, and uh, check your ego. Check, you know, be aware of the ego. Maybe not check it, but be aware of it. And if you're getting triggered, getting your amygdala is getting hijacked, try to, you know, try. And it's tough to try to do. So um, try to stop it and refocus it, redirect that. Um, energy into a, before something happens that you can't uh, undo, you know, you can't unring the bell of making a snap decision. And even though, you know, it happens to me and it still will, uh, you, you try not to, you know, make a, make say something that you will regret later on or make, do an action that you regret later on. So what is reframing the you know, profession? Look like? I think it, Especially now, athletic trainers have all the leverage for positions and, you know, ask for what you want, you know, negotiate for what you want. Uh, if you want better work-life ratio, say that that's what, you know, this this is what I'm going to, this is why I propose. I'm going to set office hours. And if you can't practice during office hours, I get it because of facilities, but I'm not going to be there at six o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night. and They can, if an student athlete were to be injured, you can, you know, have them see me at a certain time. Obviously, if it's an emergency, uh, EMS is going to be coming anyway. So you call them uh, and then we'll talk about it, you know, when I get when I get in uh, or let me know. There's nothing. If you call me at three o'clock in the morning because somebody is you know, having a tummy ache. What you know, what am I going to do for that person? So, setting boundaries, you know, and talking to your employers, your supervisors about expectations and what's a uh, realistic boundary, what's a realistic issue. So, that's, and then get involved, you know, in the profession in a way that is productive. Don't sit there and, you know, be a keyboard warrior, keyboard courage, and attack, attack, attack without giving me, giving the profession a solution. You know, I, I get it. There's things that need to happen, but let's be a part of the problem, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem, and get involved. There are plenty of opportunities, you know, in the state associations, in our associations. and If you feel that your membership in the organization is not productive. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that, but do you need to start your own organization? Maybe you do. I don't know. But uh, that's the best thing we have in 2022 is a collective association of national athletic trainers and a collective association of state Indiana state athletic trainers. And you know, there are 11 of us on the IATA board, and maybe we don't have all the answers, all the ideas, but bring your idea forward, and maybe it can happen. But the association is not, you know, we talk about that in the refraining game. Just because the NATA is not who you are, it is an association of like-minded, well, maybe not like-minded, Ken's got a better word for it than I do, but common our common thread is athlete trainer. We have similar goals, similar motivations to progress the profession, right? But we don't all think the same. And that's you know part of the diversity, right? Nobody thinks the same, right? We want to be inclusive of all those people and flesh out what idea, you know, and that's probably part of the, my journey too, is because you have an idea, you drop it into the boundary and it gets melted down and, it, all the stuff burns out and what you pour out is a relatively, it has parts of your idea, but it amalgamates with other people's ideas. You have this, you know, ingot of idea of concept or idea that goes forward. So, and that's tough to lose, you know, because well, my idea, well, I, want, I want to have an athletic trainer in every high school, get it. Well, but there's other things that have to happen. But at the end of the day, maybe in 2030, that that, that's part of the of the reality but there's other parts of it.
0: Well, thank you so much Patrick. I really loved listening to your wisdom. I love the emphasis on relationships and engagements and setting boundaries and really knowing yourself and creating a profession that is that works for you right that's one of the things that i heard throughout your conversation with with me today was you know threads of creating crafting a profession that's yours right and that profession doesn't have to be a professional organization it doesn't have to be a bunch of people it's your profession and crafting what that means for you as an athletic trainer and so if you're listening today and you've enjoyed this conversation please like and share and leave us a review. Make sure you uh, spread the word. If you, if you have another athletic trainer who may need to hear this or you feel inspired to share, please do that. Help us get the word out about how collectively we can reframe the game and reframe the profession of athletic training and create a profession uh, and, and create a, a path for all of us to be an athletic trainer and create the life we really want they don't have to be mutually exclusive and if you if if you have anything you, any other questions you like to reach out to Patrick or I please check the show notes uh, and reach out to us we'd love to have conversations and and really continue the conversation that we had here uh, today so we can work together to create a better future for us as individuals and us collectively advantage is the premier provider of non-traditional work advocacy and resources while pushing the boundaries of athletic training follow them on social media at the advantage and join their email list for an even deeper dive into all things non-traditional and access to even more boundary pushing content